Hello, my name is Kirsten Hyde, and I work here on staff. Um, thanks for all of your guys' new songs. I think you're pretty great. great. Um, so just, just a couple of reminders um, about what you heard Megan and Jessica say. If you are looking to be... Um, more involved, more plugged into more than just a Tuesday night, come downstairs afterwards, um, joining a team, dreaming about what you can do to be part of this community. We would love, love to plug you into that, and so please come downstairs. Also, with those class meetings that they were talking about, the purpose of those is to unite you guys. You're about to enter into a whole new season of life, and so what does it look like to be united and to have somebody cast vision with you about what next year can look like? So join us. And also, seniors, next week is your last house. What the heck? Last week of school. Um, so we want to invite you to um, come to a dinner with us. It'll be at 6 o'clock before the house just to celebrate you and um, thank you for all that you have been to this community. So with that, let us pray. Father God, you, um, you're so good. Um, I am really so thankful for this sermon that you have given to us that is filled, yes, with warnings and with truth and with stories and with visions. Um, may we take a hold of those tonight. Uh, may you make my words clear uh, may we be so excited to be doers of your word. Put this in your name, amen. How often in your week does somebody tell you what to do and you don't do it? A professor probably tells you to read a book. Your parents tell you to make sure you're putting money away for saving for retirement. Research after research tells you to get eight plus hours of sleep, but it seems really, really hard to do these things that people are telling us to do. Many of you know that I do ballet, and the nature of ballet means you're on your toes a lot. You're throwing your body at people and at the ground. You're putting yourself in very unnatural positions and holding yourself there. So, when it comes to ballet, the question is not, will you get injured, but how bad will the injury be? So, years ago, probably like four years ago, I was having a lot of pain, and eventually, after a long time, I went to the doctor because I couldn't really walk, so I thought, maybe now's the time, and he told me, you have a, not just a broken sesamoid bone, one of those little bones in your foot, but now it is dead because you avoided coming to the doctor for so long, and so, really what we can do for you is you can do these exercises to make the rest of your foot strong. So what he prescribed to me was I had to pick up 100 marbles with my toes multiple times a day. I did it maybe, maybe once, maybe twice, and just took too much time. And I figured, you know, I do point, my toes are strong, we're good. So then a couple years later, I break that same foot. I think they're unrelated. Um, but go to the doctor. The doctor, once again, prescribes me physical therapy. Well, physical therapy is very expensive, so I decided not to go. It's like, I'll do my own exercises, I'll figure it out. That was two years ago. 
my right leg is significantly stronger than my left because of not doing physical therapy. I was at the ARC the other day and we were doing these like sitting down squat raises and I could do that easy on my right leg, left leg, another story. My friend that I dance with got injured six weeks ago, went to PT for four weeks, and her foot is back to 99% strength. Should have listened to my doctor. And I know I'm not the only person that doesn't listen to their doctor. Um, upwards of 60% of people do not fulfill the prescriptions their doctors give to them. And I'm sure many of you in this room have been told something by a doctor that you also have ignored. And why do we do this? Statistically, there are three reasons that we don't listen to our doctors. First, the cost. Not only financially, but also side effects. Secondly, we just don't feel sick anymore. We don't really agree with the diagnosis. And that's why if you've ever gotten an antibiotic, the doctor and the pharmacist is like, take the whole thing because you will start to feel better. And if you stop taking it, it will actually hurt you in the long run. And thirdly, we simply don't trust the doctor. And so in tonight's passage, we're looking at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, the last recorded words of Jesus. And we have just heard him say so much. In fact, we spent a whole entire semester talking about these words of Jesus. And then he ends with a warning. He ends saying that you must not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And we have trouble always doing the things Jesus tells us to do. And I want to propose to us tonight that we don't do the things of Jesus for very similar reasons why we don't put the prescriptions in that the doctor gives to us. The cost is too high. We feel fine. We just don't trust Jesus. And before we actually look at the scripture, just a reminder if you've missed some of these weeks, but this warning is actually coming at the very end of three other warnings that Jesus has just given to wrap his sermon up. He said, as Jason said, look out in the first one. Make sure that you are choosing the narrow gate, the narrow path, because wide is the gate and the path that leads to destruction. Then we talked about looking up, looking up at the people that you are being taught by, those prophets around you, making sure that they are not wolves dressed in sheep's clothing because there are so many false prophets and teachers out there. And then last week, we talked about looking in because Jesus has just said, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I do not do miracles? Did I not cast out demons in your name? He will look at them and say, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. We talked about last week that it was not the things that we do in his name that get us into the kingdom of heaven, but it is this relationship. It's being known by God, knowing him, doing the will of the Father by loving. And that context is super important as we now talk about doing 
that I must come out of this relationship. And that we're looking at this warning not as being said to people that have not heard his word, but it is being spoken to people who have heard what he is saying. So with that, let's read the scripture for tonight. Everyone who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew against the house. The house remained firm because it was founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is how Jesus ends his sermon. He does not wrap things up in a pretty bow, but he says, this is important. This sermon, these things I have told you are important, do them. This warning at the end should be a notice to us that we need to listen to it. And why is he calling those that do not do what they hear foolish. Ultimately, I think it's because when we do not do what we have heard him say, we think that we are wiser than he is about our own life. And if he, he is saying, if you think this, you are foolish. We are foolish when we avoid the cost. The whole sermon, Jesus is very clear about how much discipleship costs. About how much it costs to do what he says. He says it will not just cost our cloak, but it'll cost our tunic as well. It will not just cost us going one mile with somebody, but two. It will cost us some of our reward here on earth. It will cost us turning the other cheek. The cost of obedience, he makes clear to be very high. In fact, it is so high, it requires our life. We're told later in scripture that we must lose our life. And there will be side effects. Self-denial, love those who don't love you. Then, of course, there's the side effects of gouging out your right eye and cutting off your right hand. Just kidding. It's part of it, though. But the side effects always don't have to be bad. So think about it when you exercise and when you eat right. Side effects of that is you feel good. You're strong. So the cost of doing these words of Jesus is high, but the side effect, abundant life. Those of you who were here last week heard a story of people going to Ecuador and they talked about p- 
pushing these kids up hills, across a river, through rocks. And this was hard work. The cost was high. They were sunburnt. They were exhausted afterwards. And they could have easily said, no, I'm not going to push the wheelchair. They could have easily just not even gone to Ecuador. That cost was high. And they could have just said, no, we'll just walk them around the orphanage. That'll be enough. But would that story have been worth telling? Would that story have changed their hearts? Sometimes it is those difficult things that we rejoice in the cost afterwards. When Jesus tells parables, he often uses examples of, the, of like real life situations that the people like would know that people that were listening to him, they'd be like, oh yeah, this totally happened to me last week or whatever. And so he's doing a very actually similar thing with this story about a parable of this wise man and this foolish man. See, the people at the Sermon on the Mount that are sitting on this mountain with Jesus probably lived around the Sea of Galilee. And the thing with the Sea of Galilee is during the summer, the land around it appeared solid, so strong that it would make sense. Okay, I'll just build upon this. This seems like strong ground. But what would happen is in the fall and in the winter, the rains would begin to come and the Jordan River would flood, washing over this supposedly solid ground. And then what would it reveal? This ground was actually sand. And so anyone who had built upon this land, their house was gone. However, <clears throat> if you dug 10 feet down, you found bedrock, actual solid ground. And so the people that were wise, what he's saying is that they would, in the middle of this Galilean summer, and it is hot there, without the tools that we have today, and when this ground was still hard, they would dig down they could build their house on this rock. And it was costly. It was hard. And they probably looked around and saw other people building on this solid ground at that point. And they're like, well, why can't I just do that? But those people's houses, when the rains came, fell over. So the question then looks like, not what's the cost of doing these words, but what's the cost of being foolish? They lost their lives. And if the way of Jesus was easy, would it be worth following? Things that we have in our lives that we feel are worth something, we often they often cost something too, right? So I'm sure a number of you in here are wearing an item of clothing that you could have bought another brand of it for much cheaper. So you buy a Patagonia fleece versus a Walmart one. You buy Nike, J. Crew, Lululemon, Under Armour, because these brands you believe to be quality and good and will last, they're worth the cost. 
And the cost of this world is cheap. The price of hearing and not doing is very cheap. And it does not demand much of you. But the cost of doing the words of God is high, but it will give you everything that you need. We are foolish when we ignore the diagnosis. Once again, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't really hold back much. He lets us know and exposes our sin. Take the log out of your own eye, he says. He doesn't just say, okay, this is the sin you did and didn't do, but he exposes that we are infested with sin. And we don't want to admit that. We want to ignore this. And sometimes we want to ignore it because we actually are terrified of what happens when we find out what is really going on inside, what's going to come out. And we want to ignore it because things seem to be going well. I'm doing fine. I can handle life on my own. So why mess with that? Why try to do something else? So we ignore all of that. It's easy to ignore Jesus when things seem good. It's easy to say, I don't need to listen to your words because I've got good relationships, everything's happening and it's going well, I've got it. But what he tells us in this story, in this parable, is that the storms will come. And not only on the people that are foolish, but also on the wise. The same rain, the same floods, the same wind will come. And what will happen to those who have not done the words of Jesus, their house will fall. But those who have will stand firm. I have a picture of a tornado. Outside, you've got your umbrella. So the same sort of deal that, that the storm, even on the people who are wise, is coming. But what does it look like when you are at the center? You're experiencing the stillness with him there. We watch people ignore diagnosis. We watch people ignore warning time and time again in our history. This coming Friday is the anniversary of the Titanic sinking. The Titanic was told over and over, you are heading straight towards ice. But they ignored that warning and sure enough, the boat hit an iceberg, and just like the house, it sank. And what could the people on the Titanic not do? And what could the people who built the house not do while it was sinking? 
The people of the Titanic could not rebuild that hole that there now was. The people in the house could not rebuild a foundation in the middle of the storm. We must be people that practice his word all the time. Because what happens when your friend tells you that they have a terminal illness? And what happens when your parents go bankrupt? And what happens when the love of your life breaks up with you? If you have been practicing the words of God, these words of Jesus, you have been practicing blessing those who mourn. And you've experienced what comfort in the middle of the hardest situations look like. And if you have been practicing living out the words of Jesus, you have walked through this whole fight of saying, okay, what is my master? Is money my master? Is God my master? You have chosen God to be your master. And so when money is ripped away, your life and your master is not taken from you. And when you are a doer of the word, when you've been practicing his words, you have realized that your love extends for more than just the people that love you in return. And so in the midst of your broken heart, you know that you can still love. It is so easy and tempting for us to just try to do these things on our own, to ignore these diagnoses. Ease. But that is foolish. Just like it is if a doctor tells you, if you continue to do this, you will die. You ignore it. Or if a doctor says you have this virus, it is just as foolish if we hear these words of Jesus and do not do them. We are foolish when we refuse to trust. Because our faith is founded on trusting God. And when we trust him, we trust his words. And when we trust his words, we trust that they are important for us to hear now. Do you trust that the words he is telling, he has told you in this whole sermon are for you? That they are important? Do you trust him enough that you can love your enemies? That you cannot take vengeance? That you can stop worrying? Do you trust him enough that you know that someday you may no longer be angry all the time? Do you trust him? And another, another reason why I think that Jesus is calling this man in this parable foolish is probably because for generation after generation, this man had been told, do not build your house on this sandy ground. It will be tempting, but don't do it. But he ignores the advice and the wisdom that came before him. 
sense in our culture. Love your enemy? How does that get you anywhere? Give extra to people who are taking things from you? Huh? Don't serve money? Well, how am I supposed to have a job? Don't worry, but things are going wrong. But when we trust in Jesus, we trust that his words are important for us, and therefore we do them. And not because we're afraid we're going to get in trouble, but we do them because we love him, and we desire him, and we trust him. When we trust him, commitment is established. And as we are committed to him, what rises up is this fruit of obedience. Obedience is the fruit of commitment. See, if I'm committed to running a race, I'm going to be obedient to training for it. If I'm committed to planning an event, I'm going to be obedient to sending out invitations to this event. Here at the very end of this sermon, Jesus is asking us this question. Will you be committed to me? Do you trust me or not? In, in a marriage ceremony, you see two people get up in front of each other. Before God and each other, they make commitments to one another. And these commitments are usually active words to love, to have, to hold, to cherish. But what happens when people in this marriage stop having, holding, loving? Are they not married anymore? No, they're still married, but their marriage probably is not that great. And see, when we are doers of the word, we're not doing these things to get love. We're not doing these things out of a fear, but we're doing them because he first loved us. And this is why I love this analogy that he gives about building our house on a rock. Because when we do these words of him out of obedience, out of commitment, we're saying, I'm committed to Jesus and I am going to stand with him. And then whatever hardship may go by, he stands firm with us there. And the other thing about the foolish man is he's forgetful. James 1 tells us that those who hear the words of Jesus and do not do them are like a man who looks into the mirror but quickly forgets what he just saw. That this fool may have experienced things of God, may have seen him do these great miracles, but as soon as something else happened, he forgot. But what about those who do the words of God? James says that they will be blessed 
Jesus says that they will stand firm. And the other thing is, when we do these words of Jesus, we're not just building our house on his words, we're building our house on his power. Because it is without his power, without his power, we would not be able to do any of these things in the Sermon on the Mount. Not even the smallest letter would be capable of doing. But we need it. And then, as we are doing these things of him, we're watching this power of his be made manifest through us. And people are seeing the power of God at work. See, Jesus is a very smart preacher. He actually bookends this sermon by telling us at the beginning, Hey, do these things I'm about to tell you. Then he ends it, Hey, do those things I told you. See, in Matthew 5, he says, Let your light shine before man that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He says, when you do these good things of mine, people will praise me. They'll see my power and they'll glorify me and want to be part of this. Because what happens if we do not do these things of Jesus? How in the world will people know what he is about? Or if the church does not embrace his power, how will people know that Jesus is a Jesus, a God of power and might? And as we step into doing his word, we begin to see, yes, it costs a lot, but guess what? Oh my gosh, Jesus has paid the ransom for me? He's paid this cost, and now there's this new life? A life where I'm even more myself? And as I'm doing the word, and I know that I'm sinful, and there's this diagnosis inside of me, what I'm finding is that I'm being healed. And in this sickness, fruits of the Spirit are coming out now. And as I am doing these words of God, I'm finding that I am stepping into the power of God, and He is manifesting His glory and His power through me. I recently heard a story about a grocery store. And there's, it's a a big grocery store, and they all had to go to a conference. And this lady spoke at this conference, and there's about 4,000 people at it, and she was talking to all these grocery store workers about customer service. And she was saying, the customer is so important, make sure to do great things for the customer, on and on for the whole weekend about the customer. This lady who spoke at the conference was Barbara. And Barbara, a month later, receives a phone call. On the phone, this 19-year-old boy says, Hey, Barbara, my name is Johnny. I have Down syndrome. I was at your conference last month, and I thought, I can't do any of this. I'm just a bagger. I can't make a difference. Then he was like, but then I started thinking. And I decided that I was going to come up with a good thought of the day. And I was going to type it out on a piece of paper with my dad's help six times, and then we're going to make 50 copies of it. And then I was going to take this good thought, and every person that walked through my line, I was going to put this good thought on the top of their groceries, and I was going to look them in the eye and say, here's a good thought. I hope it makes your day better. Thanks for coming. 
and he did this. A month later, that store store manager called Barbara and said, you will never guess what happened. The whole entire store has been transformed. He said, the other day I was down on the floor and there was one checkout line that was going from the checkout all the way to the frozen food. She was like, I got on the last week and I was like, okay, check out, five, six, and seven are also available. Nobody moved. So we went to talk to them and said, hey, you guys can come in for their checkouts. And they said, no, we want to stay here. We want to be in Johnny's line. One lady then said, you know what, I, you know, get my groceries every few weeks. But she said, every time I drive by this grocery store, I have to stop in because I have to get Johnny's word of the day. The rest of the store then started transforming as well. As flowers fell out of bouquets, the people in the flower department would go and give that flower to an old lady or a young girl go shopping. The people in the meat department would start tying their pieces of meat with bows. The people in charge of the carts actually made sure the carts went straight. The whole entire store was transformed. And Johnny could have said no. He could have not listened to these words of this lady. But because he did what he heard, people were changed. When you were younger, your parents told you to clean your room. When they said, go clean your room, you did not think, Okay, they're going to be okay if I just go and think about cleaning my room. That's what they expect. Or, oh, I bet they just expect me to ignore them and not clean it. Or maybe they expect me just to call up my friend and we'll like, have a study group about cleaning my room. No, they tell you to clean your room because they expect that you to clean your room. Jesus has told us all of these things because he wants us to do them. The whole New Testament is littered with pictures of people actually practicing the words of Jesus. And these practices all don't have to look like these big, huge deals. They can be as small as writing a letter to somebody you know that you've watched, making a lot of peace lately and encouraging them. It can be calling up a former friend and reconciling. Because we can sit here and talk about Jesus and talk about his power. But it is just like we can learn about love when we listen and watch and read Shakespeare. But we can't actually know love until we experience it. In the same way, we cannot know power until we experience it and do these things of Jesus. So let us be people that do what we have heard. Let us be people that experience power by being doers. Let us be wise. Amen. I'm going to pray. Know that there are always people in the back to pray with you after. Um, Father God, I pray that um, this warning of yours, this message, that if we are just hearing these things and walking away and not doing that, that we'll fall. 
I pray that we would take that step, trust you, be doers. Thank you for your word. Let it change us, and may we show off your glory and your power to the world. Put this in your name, amen.